Welcome to Fred Basin's Diaries, read here by Clive Farahar. This is a book collector podcast sponsored by Adrian Harrington Rare Books of Tunbridge Wells. Fred Basin's Diaries, Part 3 1929. I'm going to put down a mouthful in here today. I believe it to be absolutely untrue and a fallacy that the older are wiser than the young. The young are brave most times and have the courage and confidence and enterprise and above all energy. And the older you'll get, the more these things grow less. Old men are very seldom wise. For wisdom, give me a man of 45 or so. Old men cease to desire. And that's not wisdom. That's bloody decay. And I'll ever further say as well as an afterthought. Me elders are not my betters. And title people are not all ladies and gentlemen. In this graceful year of 1929, I think I am going to get a bit more up the ladder. But I will not accept all my elders say as being gospel. Today, I pushed a barrow from Woolworth to Bermondsey for the first time to sell books from the gutter. It's not pleasant, but was fairly profitable. Since I started bookselling in 1923, I've been building up a stock of rather dull books that I was forced to buy in order to get better ones. Good books always sell. Dud books linger on. My parents complain that they are dust and I must clean them out. I cannot afford to give them away. So I went to a nearby barrow yard for a barrow. It cost sixpence for four hours and ninepence for the day. And I put on a mixed assortment of stock. They're mostly religious nature. But I also put a lot of early volumes of the Strand magazine to make it look a bit more, plus a bundle of tidbits and Pearson's weeklies. It took me an hour to pull the barrow to Towerbridge Road, two miles from home, and I was sweated. All these cloth-bound books at threepence each. Pick where you like, I said, and bless them they did, they picked. All the periodicals are priced at two for a penny and sold the lot. Fifty-two of the books sold, which proves you can never tell what will or won't sell. On the old, it's a good result, but it drizzled with rain, so it made me miserable. Received inquiries for books on cookery, got none, and an old man wanted any nice books on demonology. What the heck is this here, demonology? I must look it up. And a woman going to have a baby wants a birth control book for her old man. Now, got rid of half my dead stock, and will go there again, but I ate it. It seems like begging to stand and ask people to buy books at threepence a time that took writers years of brain work to write. What heartbreaks is there in this genuine writing game? What heartbreaks in selling them? But I shall do it again from a barrow because it pays. I've been lucky. A new copy of E. Blunden's Undertones of War, first edition 1928, has come my way. I've paid nine and sixpence for it cash. I spent all day on reading of it and recall it is the first of all great war books and likely to be collected. I have to read it today because I've been rung up by H and they offer me 25 shillings for it if I bring it over tomorrow morning. This is the first book I've read by E. Blunden. He certainly seems a fine writer, rather in the G. Bullet class, a class I'll never join. Half a year gone by, it's been a hand-to-mouth existence Around April it seemed so hopeless still to try and sell books. Somehow there seemed to be a slump in everything, just on the way or just here or somewhere all the time. I took my barrow out, but by the time I reckoned up my takings, I was working for pretty nearly nothing. 
My father, who's been a barnist maker and his own boss all his life, couldn't make a living either. There are so few horses left. Cars are taking their places at all the little firms who used to send their horses harness for Dad to repair. It seemed so odd to Dad, and he remarked that they couldn't afford to keep a faithful horse but could afford around a quid for a car. And he couldn't see that it was progress. My mother started selling second-hand clothes which she bought cheap, washed and repaired, then resold with a bit of profit. But it didn't really bring much in, and around late May we knew hard times. So I dropped my book business and Dad and me pulled our bit of capital. And it was a bit. And we bought a couple of barrow loads of old wood from a demolition contractor. Our barrows were piled high and we sweated our guts out in getting it home. Then we set to and sawed and chopped it all up and both got pretty expert at getting a lot of sticks out of one old piece of sawn wood. We cut those old planks at odd lengths so that some would stick at the side of the bowl we threw the wood into the tuppence of bowl so that it looked big and high, the tuppence, whereas if it had been all little sticks of wood, it would have taken treble to fill the bowl. My God, how we worked that summer. And now on my birthday, we are firewood merchants, but I swear to God it will only be till about October. In the dark nights, people are bound to want books again, even if they can't really afford them. And I shall be returning to book selling. I must. 1930. I didn't make a New Year's resolution. I always break them. But now I think I'll write a line and it's this. Without self-advertisement, a bloke gets nowhere in this world. In this year of 1930, the absolute essential element of success is self-advertisement. And it ain't sure but me writing it. If I was asked, which I ain't likely to be, which is the book I'm most frequently asked for, and provided it's not over two shillings I can sell in ones or dozens, I would say truthfully that it's Palgrave's Golden Treasury. I'll get asked at least four times a week for this, the most perfect anthology ever compiled. It has no equal for its size and compactness. It seems that everyone wants this, from students to tottering old ladies. Who is this man Palgrave? There ought to be a life of him somewhere, he is certainly my bestseller, and the posh say that the poor people don't read verse. God, there ain't any rich people around here, except the bookies, and they read nothing but the racing guide. Jacob S. came and paid me £100 in notes and took away all my autographed mourns. It was a wrench, but they had to go. I needed the capital. And what did I do with it? Well, there was a darling little shop to let in Camberwell. I took it and called it the Little Bookshop, and with the help of three pals in the trade who supplied at cut rates, I filled the shop with books, photos, cigarette cards, and all manner of souvenirs. The souvenirs, i.e. signed photographs, were not for sale, being merely to attract attention, for my shop was not five feet wide. One could get about 35 books on a shelf in the window. Of course, I would start my little bookshop at the wrong time of the year, when most folks were on holiday, and when books were the last things that folks bought. I think I can make a living in the shop instead of with a sack on my back or by post or at the stall, and it will give me more time to write. The rent is 12 and sixpence a week. They've let me have it cheaper than some, as they see it's a sheer gamble. I will pay more if I manage to hold out six months. Later, with the help of my father, I've moved in. We have bought from Morgan, the grocer, some egg crates, 
and have converted them into bookshelves. They don't look very nice, but will do for the time being. Even as we're moving in, I sold a book on poultry keeping for a shilling. I gave the man a novel by Le Queue as a souvenir for being my first client. The novel is called The Three Knots, and it's a thriller. Three Knots. I wonder if I'll get knotted in this shop. But it's more dignified than a blasted barrow, which I've hated for so long. I'm now a member of a dignified profession, a genuine bookseller with a shop. I shall never have a partner or any assistant, unless it be some day a wife to help me by minding my business when I get called out for sales, etc. I do not believe in partnerships in the book trade. They never work out, and they're a source of constant bickering. I'm happy. This ends my first ten days in the shop. I've taken five pounds, twelve shillings and sixpence apenny in these ten days. I would say that's roughly two pounds, fifteen shillings profit. It's starvation, but I've yet to establish myself. I can hold out for about eight weeks. After that I've had it. I sell a lot of mags and comics at a penny and an apenny. But the profit is small. Oh God, please let a first folio fall my way. I'd be so grateful to you. Now I have my ambition. A little shop, be it only a little one, it must not fail. It shall not fail. I'll get what clients want best. I can. I need luck. I didn't know much in the first two weeks as I was at least three hours a day at the British Museum in the reading room getting additional information on my Mourn bibliography. I had for many years compiled notes on his work and it merely is a matter of additional information that I went for. It was all completed today and Mr Cooper has called and said it's OK and that they, the Unicorn Press, will publish it in two editions, 950 at 10 and sixpence and 35 special ones autographed by Mourn, if he's willing, at 21 shillings. I owe so much to WSM, I shall never be able to repay. But he says he wants no repayment. The craze for modern first edition expands daily. Is it a fashion of the moment? I'm coining money and can't go wrong. They follow like sheep, there seems to be no reason and logic. First issue with fly dirt on page 73, three quid, no fly dirt, 12 and sixpence. First issue in red cloth, 25 quid, the same book in green cloth, 10 and sixpence. It's not same, but it's happening. Priesty's good companions listed at £3.10 and sixpence. Hick, I think 15 shillings is a fair price, yet collectors want it. It's a must. So up and up it goes. The musts right now in modern first editions are the works of Shaw, Montague, Maugham, Yates, Galsworthy, Delamere, Barry, Kipling, H. Williamson and A. Huxley. And as long as it's a genuine first edition, it's a seller and I get amazingly good prices from the trade, so they must be getting fortunes. Dawson want Jane Eyre 3 vols, 1847, and Scott's Waverley in 3 vols, 1814. So do I. I put it down in black and white. It's true. I've just seen a catalogue of moderns, and there are these titles and prices. Galsworthy, St. John, Villa Rubin, fairly good, 85 quid. Man of property, good. Well, it should be, 125 quid. From the Four Winds, fine, 165 quid. Caravan, nice, 20 quid. The Foresight Saga, V nice, 35 quid. That's five novels costing about £2 published price, and today 330 is asked for them. 
and I'll lay six to four they sell, for the catalogue is from a live bookman. Anyone paying 330 quid for these today, April 1930, is the biggest bloody fool in the world and can lose 300 quid at least by 1950. This isn't an investment, but the seller is wise and can't be blamed. I now wear a buttonhole flower each day and smoke Russian fags. And why not? I see that Lytton's Eugene Aram first edition made £990 at Sotheby's. Gold's truth. It's a very funny world. And the world of collectors of firsts is the funniest. P called in tonight and we talked shop. She says, oh, The Old Wives' Tales is the greatest modern novel. Couldn't agree. Of human bondage and the way of all flesh is my choice. Reckon I'm in love with P. Alas, she's an R.C. She won't change. I won't change. So be it. But she's so cool, calm and collected. Pity her eyes are so troublesome. But a smart-looking girl without them bloody glasses. We had tea, Russian-style, with lemon bits. It was nice. All they seem to want is I am Jonathan Scrivener by a bloke named C. Houghton. I've read it, and it's clever, well-written thriller, and it's got no dull patches. It would make a splendid film, but I failed to see it as a masterpiece. It was published at seven and sixpence around March or April, and now I'm offered 15 shillings for as many first editions as I can lay my hands on. I think that this is stark, raving mad. The bookseller is then to get a profit. Says he makes it a pound a book, well, no one in their right mind should pay a quid for it. It's daylight robbery. The market at firsts must burst. Yesterday I sold 60 copies of an H.G. Wells first edition at four and sixpence, all to one bookman. I paid one and sixpence each. There was another 40 or 50 there when I bought the 60. I told him I could get more. He said, OK, I'll have a 100 more if you can get them. 100 copies of a mediocre H.G. Wells novel, just because it's a first edition. It's potty. But why should I turn money away? Tomorrow I'll get the rest at one and sixpence each and take a taxi and sell the rest at four and sixpence each. And if he gets his fingers burnt, then it's his fault for being downright greedy. There's nothing else to explain it. This is a marvellous stroke of luck. But I wish it was a I am Jonathan Scrivener. There I go. I'm being greedy as well now. <laughs> That was part three of Fred Basin's Diaries, brought to you by The Book Collector. It was read by Clive Farrahar and sponsored by Adrian Harrington Rare Books of Tunbridge Wells. If you enjoyed it, why not consider subscribing to The Book Collector, a quarterly journal in print and online for all those who take pleasure from books. Thebookcollector.co.uk has all the details. 